If I put politician and promise in a sentence, what's your immediate reaction? <laughs> Probably the same as mine. We've all had instances where we've seen public figures say one thing and then do another. Unfortunately, that's not the only type of human relationship in which we've been forced by experience to weigh others' words against their actions, and sometimes there's a significant gap, even for ourselves. But it's very important that we understand that when God speaks a promise, it is completely different than when a human speaks. When God speaks, the universe changes because His Word will always come to pass. The most dramatic illustration of that reality in all of the history of the cosmos is the incarnation, the crucifixion, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus Christ. Let's get into it. And thank you, friend, for joining us at Arlington United. No new taxes. No, read my lips. Read my lips, he said. No new taxes. Anybody remember that? Jim Mullins does. Roy Isaac does. Egan Renderer does. No new, who said that? George H.W. Bush, 41. It was August 18th, 1988. It was the Republican National Convention. Every eye was on this candidate who had been the vice president, and he was, he was saying, I want to be the president. I have read, and I have no reason to disbelieve this, that Bush 41 was the most qualified candidate we've ever had for president. He had served in the CIA, he had been in the military, he had uh, been in public service, he had, he had served in legislation. He, basically, his resume was impeccable. He was, he, was, he was the guy as far as experience. So regardless of how you feel about policies or parties, you'd have to say this guy was experienced. He, 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 he knew a lot about government. And he stood up and he made that promise no new taxes. How did that go? <laughs> not too good. <laughs> no new taxes, not too good. Two years later in 1990, if you can believe this, this is so, it's 30 years removed, but there was a Democratic Congress and they were concerned about the national deficit. Because, you know, Democrats have a reputation for spending and Republicans are supposed to be the ones that don't spend, but it was the Democrats who were trying to bring the budget under control. And they went to this Republican president and said, we've got to have some taxes. And so he made a compromise and he um, raised taxes. Now, they weren't technically new taxes because it wasn't a new category. He just made more of the old taxes than there were. So rather than being, you know, this percentage, it was more. So it was more out of your pocketbook, but that's how he kind of you know, found the wiggle room, the lawyer speak. There are those who look at this and they were following two terms of George, uh, 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 
Bill Clinton from the governor of Arkansas became president in 92. There are political analysts that look back and say the single most important factor, the single most important factor in President Clinton becoming president was that President Bush was called out saying something in such bold terms and people, you know, were frustrated because they felt like he didn't keep his promise. I didn't come to teach you political history today except to say this. It is the, it's, that's really the first time in my life that I look back and I remember, like now it seems like that we just expect politicians sometimes to not tell us the truth. And I don't mean to rail on dignitaries today, but there's a cynicism that's in public life. And sometimes we feel like if a public figure you can tell their line that their lips are moving. I mean, that's, that's kind of a saying that people have. But I remember this was the first time I was, I was very disappointed in him because I thought, he's the president, and he made a promise. And I actually thought, Brother Mark, that if you made a promise and you're a public figure, that it was scandalous to go back on your word. I was raised, I was raised, Martine, that your word is supposed to mean something. That's the way I was raised. I, I was naive. I didn't know that people just told stories. And I'm not saying that President Bush did. You know, there, there were circumstances that arose. But I'm just saying that this, to me, in my lifetime, was a turning point between people being trusted for, for me. And then you say, well, they said that, but let's see. Let's see. Because like you said, not too good. Right. It lasted, that promise lasted two years. It's, it's become a sad state of affairs because today there's an expectation that our elected officials don't keep their promises. But it affects more than that. It, it doesn't just affect the voting booth. It affects families. It, it, it affects societies and neighborhoods. It affects culture, Brother Mark, because... We have a creeping cynicism that worms its way into all our relationships in which distrust becomes the norm. Where you feel like that if you really could get a hold of somebody's phone or if you could really look at their accounts or if you, if you could follow somebody around that, you know, nobody's who they say they are, you know. And used to, there was a kind of person maybe sitting on a bar stool somewhere that had that, that bitter attitude about it, but... You know, that has worked its way into a lot of society where people don't trust one another as they used to. But I just want to present to you today that that's not the way the world was designed to be. God didn't make the world built on lies because he's a God of truth. And initially, he meant this world to be a world of truth. Amen. Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. And if, we're, if we are Christians, Christ-like people, our life, individually and corporately, communally, it should reflect that reality of truth. It, it really should. When you're wearing the wrong prescription glasses, the whole world looks distorted. I could bring any one of you up here today and put these on you and ask you to walk through these seats and you'd probably fall down. Because I'm almost bound as a flat. And this prescription would mess you up. Nothing would change about the room, but you would have on the wrong set of glasses. And when we wear cynical glasses, 
of our experience in this world of what people have said and then turned their back on. People that have disappointed us. People that have let us down. Oh, by the way, some of the people that have let us down are the ones that we shaved this morning or got a nice suit or dress on this morning. You know, We're not innocent either in this promise-keeping business because we, you know, last time I pinched myself, it hurt. We're human. We sometimes let people down too and let ourselves down. But sometimes we take these human experiences and we project them onto God. But it's critically important to remember that unlike any political figure, unlike any person that's a celebrity or a famous person or, you know, you got to read the fine print because they tell you you're winning a car, you know, probably not true. It sounds too good to be true. All these scam calls that come in, you know, and you've done this, you've done this. Oh, we've got a package for you. Click on this link. They'll have a package for you, all right? Spend the rest of your life trying to unravel your credit for the scammers. Let me tell you something. When God makes a promise, it's not like when a human makes a promise. Because when God makes a promise, there are two critical distinctions. Number one, and most importantly, his character never wavers. Hebrews 13 and 8 says, he, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So when, when Mr. Bush was standing before the convention, he had a certain set of goals in mind. But when he was meeting with Congress, the goals had changed because the circumstance had changed. But Jesus Christ never changes. His character is unwavering. You can count on him to keep his word. Yes. But there are other people, and just for what it's worth, I think this is what happened to Mr. Bush. I don't think Mr. Bush just wanted to lie to people. I think he actually believed that when he said it. I, I really do. I, I don't know him personally. I just think that's what happened. But I think different circumstances came up, and he didn't have the power to keep his promise. That, that circumstances changed with the most. Well, he felt like he needed to do something different. But this is the wonderful thing about God, Brother Roy. Not only does his character not change, but his power is never diminished. He is able, Paul said, to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think. I might promise you we're going to go out to dinner Wednesday night, but if I get sick or if I have a car accident or if I get behind at work, there are things that mitigate my ability to keep my promise because I'm a human being living in a fallen world. So even if my character is true, sometimes my performance doesn't come through. But I have great news for the church today. Not only is the character of God something that you can count on, but the power of God is something that you can depend on. When God makes a promise, it's not like when anyone else makes a promise. Because when God makes a promise, you can count on it. You can settle on it. We have a saying, you could take it to the bank. But there's no bank that's as reliable as the Lord. I don't care about it. Even if it's FDIC insured, take it to the bank is not a strong enough statement. Take it to Fort Knox is not a strong enough statement. Let me tell you, God, when he makes a promise, in one place in Scripture, he said, there was nothing I could swear by, so I just swore by myself because there's nothing truer than God. There's nothing more powerful than God. And when he makes you a promise, you can believe it, it will come to pass. Somebody ought to just pause and thank the Lord right now that we have a God that's not like us. We have a God whose word is forever settled in heaven. Forever settled in heaven. 
Psalm 119, 89 says, Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Now, now, now pay close attention to my language here. When God speaks, Brother Corey, the universe changes. Because when I speak, I made a little noise. There's a little sound vibration. And if your eardrums are close enough and they vibrated enough and your nerves are working and it goes to your brain, you can hear what I said. And if you know my language, then you know I said something. If you believe me, then you believe it. If you don't, you don't. But okay, I said something. But when God says something, listen to me, church, the entire universe begins to bend toward the construction of that promise becoming a tangible reality. From the moment God speaks, Brother Mark, the universe is arcing toward the deliverance of that promise. It is impossible to be otherwise because what he made responds to his word. He said, let there be light, and the universe responded with light. He said, let the dry land be separate from the seas. The seas will come here and go no further, and that's exactly what happened, and continents were formed because when Christ speaks to us, his promises are yes, and we get to say amen. When God speaks, things happen. Time, space, and circumstance are placed under prophetic pressure when God makes a promise. There is a force behind time and circumstance that begins to squeeze events into the reality that God has spoken. And it may be today, or it may be 6,000 years. But when God speaks, let me tell you something. The universe will respond, and your promise will come to pass. Because when God speaks, there is no argument. He is not yes and no. When he speaks, it is only Yes, there is absolutely no double talk with our Lord. When he makes a promise, it comes to pass. Amen. Amen. I want to take a few moments and I just want to draw your attention to a few, a few of the miraculous prophecies that were fulfilled through this man, Christ Jesus. This God-man, this, if you're new to Christian theology, we call him a God-man because he was, he was a creature that there has never been before or since. He was, he was fully divine. He was fully God. He, he was Yahweh, and yet he was as real in his flesh as you and me. He got hungry. He had to sleep. He had to learn his language. He, he had to be even obedient to his parents. And yet he was God living in our flesh as if he just put on a human coat and was wearing it around but it was as real as you and me. I want to tell you, first of all, it was prophesied in Genesis 3 and 15 that this Savior would be the offspring of a woman. Okay, that's not too tough. How many are an offspring of a woman? Okay, if you don't know that, we'll have a short lesson afterwards. We're going to keep this G-rated right now, but you are the offspring. Of, all of you are the offspring of a woman, okay? So, so far, that was prophesied, but that's not particularly... Special. Let's up the ante a little bit, okay? How about the next round of prophecy? Offspring of a woman, but Isaiah 7.14 says he would be the offspring of a virgin. Okay, we're going to keep it clean today. We're not going to ask for a show of hands. We're going to tell you Jesus is a special creation. He is one of a kind. 
But that prophecy, which sounds mind-boggling to us, it, it, it beggars human description and understanding, but it was fulfilled in Matthew 1 and 18 when Mary the virgin conceived and brought forth a son and called his name Jesus. He would be of the tribe of Judah. He would be born in Bethlehem, Genesis 49 and 10, Micah 5 and 2. He would be presented with gifts. The Magi that came from Chaldea presented him with gifts. That was prophesied in Psalm 72 and 10. Herod, the king, would kill children because in a desire, in ethnic cleansing to get rid of Jesus. This was prophesied in Jeremiah 31 and 15. His name would be Emmanuel, God with us. He would be preceded by a messenger that would prepare the way for him, John the Baptist. Prophesied in Isaiah 40, verse 3. His ministry would be a ministry of miracles, Isaiah 35. He would enter Jerusalem riding a donkey, Zechariah 9 and 9. He would be betrayed by a friend, Psalm 41 and 9. Now listen how specific this is. Zechariah 11 and 12. He would be sold for 30 pieces of silver. Zechariah 11:13, that money, the, 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 the bid price would be thrown down in God's house. How specific are these prophecies? Zechariah 13 and 7, he would be forsaken by his disciples. Psalm 35 and 11, he would be accused by a false witness. Isaiah 53 and 7, he would be mute before his accusers. Isaiah 53, 5, he would be wounded and bruised, but for a purpose. Isaiah 50 and 6, he would be smitten and spit upon. Psalm 22, 7 and 8, he would be mocked. Psalm 22 and 16, his hands and his feet would be pierced. Psalm, uh, Isaiah 53 and 12, he would be crucified with thieves. Psalm 22 and 18, his garments would be parted and they would gamble over his tunic. How specific. And I could give you the New Testament fulfillment of every one of these prophecies. Because when God speaks the universe begins to bend into alignment with what God has said. Because when God speaks, it's not like when anyone else speaks. It is yes and amen. There's no yes and no. There is a yes and an amen. Isaiah 53 and 12, he'd be crucified with thieves. Psalm 22 and 18, his garments would be parted. Psalm 22 and 1, he would give a, a, a cry of being forsaken. Psalm 34 and 20, his bones would not be broken. Zechariah 12 and 10, this is mind-boggling to me. It is absolutely mind-boggling that they came to, the, the Jewish people didn't want people hanging on the cross on the Sabbath, and so they came and asked the Roman shoulders to break the legs of those who were hanging on the cross so they could not elevate themselves and breathe with this terrible asphyxiating form of, of, of execution. And yet the two men on either side, they broke their legs but Jesus had already expired because the morning sacrifice was given at 9. That's when they nailed him to the cross. And the evening sacrifice was given at 3 p.m. And that's when Jesus gave up the ghost and died. It was so specific. It was so ordered. It was so arranged by the Lord that he was already dead. And so, and, and so they pierced his side as a fulfillment of prophecy. Fulfillment of prophecy for the Lord. That soldier may have thought, 
I'm, I'm in a peak, a peak or an anger, or I'm just going to mock Jesus and pierce his side. But no, it was necessary to fulfill prophecy. And blood and water flowed out of his spleen. They pierced him in his left side, puncturing his spleen. Because in the spleen is the last pint of blood in a body that has been emptied of blood. But every drop came out, Mark, because he wanted to expel every ounce of blood he had to be shed for our sins. What a God. How specific. Darkness would cover the land, Amos 8 and 9. Isaiah 53 and 9. He was buried in a rich man's tomb. But I came to you today to not only tell you that God made good on the prophecies of the suffering servant, but God also made good on the prophecies of the resurrected king. He was prophesied in Psalm 16 and 10 that his body would not be left in Sheol or death, and he would not suffer his Holy One to seek corruption. And the resurrection that was prophesied on the third day came forth, and Jesus was resurrected. It was prophesied in Psalm 68 and 18 that he would ascend into the heavenly realms, and that's where he is today, sitting on the right hand of authority of God. And we have a promise that is sure in Christ. Just as sure as he came as a baby, just as sure as he went to the cross, just as sure as he went to the tomb, he arose out of that tomb, and he is reigning, and as he said in Matthew 28 and 18, all power in heaven and in earth has been given to him today and he has then said you go forth and make disciples in my name and baptize them and we have that privilege of standing with him today in his promise I would that you would just praise the Lord today because God is not like anyone else when he makes a promise when he makes a promise he makes it come true that's why Paul states when the fullness of time had come God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. She, she, he, he was born of a woman because he identifies with us. But he was born under the law because he corresponds to the covenant promises of God with the people of God. Brother Roy, he, 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 he had in, in, in one side of his lineage our humanity and our need, but he had in one side of his lineage the promises of God that were forever settled, that he would make good on. Jesus is the one that answers the question, is God for me? The answer is an unequivocal yes. He is for you. He has demonstrated his love for you. He's demonstrated his power for you. And he's demonstrated his devotion to you. But on the other side, on the other side of that, if God has raised up Christ from the dead, you can trust that not only was he powerful enough to do that, he's powerful enough to do anything. If the resurrection is true, anything else is gravy. If the resurrection is false, we're wasting time. I hope you enjoyed the oratory because that's all you're getting if the resurrection is false. I hope you like these people, but it's no better than a bowling club if the resurrection is not true. But if the resurrection is true, anything else is possible. There's no circumstance in your life that God's promise can't come true in if the resurrection is true. If the resurrection is false, we're wasting our time. But if the resurrection is true, then we have a firm foundation that we just sang about and we can count on the Lord to perform His promise in every way that we 
need. The purpose of God in your life, the promises of God over your life are secure because of the faithfulness of God and the power of the resurrection. I'm closing. I would say I hasten to a close, but y'all have your ears attuned to that. You know that means 15 more minutes. So I'll just say I'm closing, which means five. In our text, Paul draws a distinction between what the church's experience was with people who made false promises and what their experience could be with a God who never makes a false promise. And he wanted them to know that because of Christ, they could count on the word of the Lord. They really could count on the word of the Lord. He said God's word is not yes and no. God's word for us is yes, period, full stop, new sentence. God's word is yes. I just want that to sink in for a moment. God's word over your life is a yes. God's word over your family is a yes. God's word over this community is is a yes. God's word over your future is a yes. God's word over your health and over, over your well-being and your peace and, and, and your, your life, it is a yes. God is for you. Yeah. But the guarantee of that yes was the incarnation. The advent of the presence of Yahweh in the person of that little baby, Jesus Christ. In the birth of Jesus, God showed his intentions were. In the death of Jesus, God demonstrated his devotion to us. It's complete. And in the resurrection of Jesus, God has proved his power for us. And it is undeniable. And it is unstoppable. His intention is good. His devotion is complete. And his power is more than enough. It is more than sufficient for what we need. Paul said the seal of that promise is the Holy Spirit that we have received. It is the earnest of our inheritance. <laughs> Jude and Bennett and I made a trip to Kroger yesterday. Because Jude, when he does his chores, and he does right, he gets quarters. And he's got a little plastic piggy bank from H&R Block that his mom, mom gave him, Anita. And he unscrews that green nose, and he can put those quarters in. And every now and then he gets a dollar and he puts in it. And he loves to go to Kroger. Because on the seasonal aisle, they got dinosaurs, plastic ones, and they got cars, plastic ones. And that little Jude, it lights up his world when he can go to Kroger and he can take those little quarters. And we stand there and God help the people behind us because we count them out one quarter at a time. They just have to move to a new line. We're there for about five, ten minutes. We're just counting out quarters, Nicole, because we're learning a lesson about promises. What he's learning is... If he does what he says he'll do, then I'll do what I say I do. Yeah. And Jesus said, if you, being an earthly father, and you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more so your heavenly father knows how to give good gifts to his children. It's the earnest of his inheritance. If he'll just keep being my son, there's a lot more than quarters and piggy banks and plastic cars in his future 
if he'll continue to want to live in our family and just live according to the covenant that we have. If you will keep living for God, there's something good in your future. And the Holy Spirit that's working inside of you is just a foretaste. He's just trying to show you that his promise is true. He's just trying to show you that he can be relied on because, my friend, today, he can do it. And he will do it. He has done it in Christ, and he is still doing it in the church today. Would you stand with me? Would you raise your hands and give praise and honor to the Lord our God? He is the Lord. He is the God that keeps his promise. (laughs) One final thought. One final thought. The structure of the Greek here, it's yes and amen. God says yes in Christ. But when we join in Christ through baptism in water and spirit, that's when we say yes back to God. Willie, when you went in that water, it was in my house that day, wasn't up here, but that horse trough over there, and we baptized you, and you went down in that water. What you did is you said yes back to God. God said, yes, I love Willie. And so I'm going to show him through Christ that I love him. I don't just love his wife. I love Willie. But when you got in that tank, you show God that you're saying amen to his promise. When you raised your hands, you begin to speak with other tongues. The Spirit gave you utterance. And you begin to praise the Lord in language you understand. What you did is you stepped into Christ and you said yes back to God. You said, I want to be what you want me to be. You said, God, you've said yes to me. I'm going to say amen back to you. Would somebody just close your eyes and lift your hands right now? And would you say yes back to God? Would you just say amen to the Lord right now? You say, Lord, whatever you want from my life, whatever you want from my family, whatever you want from my sons and my daughters and my grandchildren, whatever you want from my sisters and my brothers, whatever you want for this community, in my workplace, in my place of education, in this town, whatever you want in my future, Lord, whatever you want in my tomorrow and my today, I Say yes to you, Lord. I say yes back to you. I say yes to your promise. In the name of Jesus. You can count on it. When God places a promise over your life through his word, it will come to pass. We see it in the history of Jesus and his living lordship. We see it in the incalculable (laughs) improbabilities of the promises of God's written word that came to pass in the biography of Jesus Christ. And we have a guarantee of those promises with the indwelling empowerment the baptism of the Holy Spirit as was poured out in the second chapter of Acts and continues in the body of Christ at this current day. Oh friend, please, please understand that wherever you've been hurt, whenever you've been deceived, it wasn't because God didn't keep his promise. He always keeps his promise. He's unlike any other speaker can count on the Lord. Thank you, friend, for joining us at Arlington.